Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For those of you who are just tuning in, we're Devin, Nick, and Lauren. And we are here to break down Nick's incredible digital cover story, which he dropped yesterday, previewing all things about House of the Dragon, the upcoming Game of Thrones prequel. I mean, there's so much cool stuff to get into that details in Nick's story. We have incredible photos. So if you haven't seen any of that, make sure to go over to EW.com and check it out. There's so much fun stuff to break down. But Nick, how are you feeling? When did you visit the set? So yeah, I went to the set um, December of last year. I'm honestly still floored that logistically it was able to happen because this was right around the time um, when the Omicron variant was emerging and spreading. I was like literally in the air on my way to the UK as the UK was actively changing their international traveler policies. Um, and like, I'm already a stressful, anxious traveler <laughs> as it is. And then add on top of all of this, like new procedures, new forms I had to fill out, like get a order a second day COVID test to come to your hotel, quarantine for a couple of days. And then like once you get your results back, you can go out. So it was a lot of moving things, uh, moving parts. Um, but yeah, so I finally got to set on December 6th. They kind of just threw me into the fire, you know, pun intended here. Um, I w- they were filming around, like, episode eight, um, and there's a pretty big spoiler scene. Um, so that was, like, really my first kind of interaction to what this show is and what it's about. But yeah, so I spent three days there, spent so much time um, with the cast and the creators. I got to tour most of the set. I got a peek inside of the vast warehouse that holds all of the props. Um, I got to hold a dry neck in my hand, which was very cool. Um, Yeah, and all to just kind of figure out, get just a general impression of what the future of Game of Thrones looks like, because this franchise seems like it's only getting started these days. That is so cool. And yeah, I loved all the little details in your story about like how they stick tennis balls on the on the Iron Throne to make sure nobody bumps into it. Like that is so hilarious to me. Yeah, it's it's really funny. I mean, <laughs> Miguel uh, Sapochnik, um, who co-show runs um, House of the Dragon with Ryan Condal, and Miguel also directs, um, I believe it's three of the episodes um, in season one. The first thing he mentioned, he was like, yeah, this is as dangerous as it is described in the books. Like, they they just, like, didn't really have enough prop blades to go around. So they were, like, pulling from all different kinds of sources. Some of them were real swords. And then some of them were, like, blades from other fantasy projects, um, which I found so funny. And, yeah, they... <laughs> It's it's kind of wild. It's it's pretty wild to see it up close. I'm just amazed they were actual swords because you would think with something like that that it would just all be like carved foam and things like that. So the fact that like did they give their swords back to the Witcher once they like you know hey here's your sword you you can borrow our sword for the Iron Throne but we need it back for season whatever it is coming up. 
That is um, a great question. But as far as I know, like that Iron Throne is still up at oh, London's Leaved In Studios. So mm-hmm. if they were to have to give it back, I mean, it'll it'll be for a while. And then it seems like, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for HBO, but I mean, HBO, by the sound of it, you know, seems... Um, pretty all in with the show already. So I feel like a season two is kind of, you know, it's, it's safe to bet that a season two will happen, in which case the Iron Throne would be needed again. So yeah, I mean, they're going to hold on to all of those swords for a while. The Witcher's just going to have to make new swords, I guess. <laughs> and for the Witcher spinoff. Oh my God. I'm sure they have plenty of swords. <laughs> I'm sure between, you know, The Witcher and Lord of the Rings and, uh, you know, House of the Dragon, there's, there's a lot there. If you're a sword maker in Hollywood, it's, it's a, it's a pretty, you've got a lot of job security, I would think. Ryan had also joked, in addition to the swords, he feels like the production kind of bought out every single candle in all of the UK. I mean, you'll see, you kind of get a sense of the Dragonstone set. Um, there was one um, still image that came out of Emma Darcy's um, Princess Rhaenyra Targaryen standing over sort of a war table and looking over this map. That is in Dragonstone, and there were a lot of candles around it. There are candles that were placed strategically underneath the war table to make it look like it was illuminated. Because at this time in Westeros history, you know, it's not like the Dragonstone that we saw in Game of Thrones. This is definitely an active volcano that has encased this castle. Um, so they, their candle budget was also pretty insane for this. That's incredible. I love that so much. And yeah, I mean, Nick, your story is filled with so many great details. And I love that it gives such a great job of sort of the overarching sort of introducing this show. You know, for people who maybe aren't so familiar with the book side of things, what were some of the biggest takeaways as you were talking to the, the showrunners? I mean, what, how does this show compare to, to something like Game of Thrones? No, I, I think that's a great question. You know, when I, I definitely wanted to ask Ryan and Miguel about, you know, whether they feel any pressures kind of being the first successor show to the original Game of Thrones right out the gate. Um, and I also asked them about, for better and worse, I feel like, you know, everybody had something to say about the final season and if that's kind of affecting them at all. They were very level-headed about it. That was sort of my impression. They they told me that they're just kind of really focusing more on the massive legacy that Game of Thrones already has and how they can kind of do their own unique thing just kind of within this world um, to kind of carry that legacy forward. Okay, so the concept too also came from, the original Simon kind of came from George R.R. Martin. He hired um, Ryan Condal to develop House of the Dragon with him. And the assignment always was this particular time in Westeros history, which is about 200 years, give or take, before the events of Game of Thrones, um, this is sort of the height of Targaryen rule in Westeros. It's a time of great wealth, decadence, prosperity, all of that. Everybody is kind of decked out. There are so many dragons um, in this world. But George was really adamant. Um, and this is also, by the way, secondhand information that I got from Ryan, um, just listening to him talk about his experience working with George. I haven't yet had the pleasure of interviewing George R. R. Martin. Sent requests in, though. So we'll see. Fingers crossed for down the road. 
But George, according you know to Ryan, felt that this particular concept for a spinoff had the most indirect or direct kind of connection to Game of Thrones season one, episode one. I mean, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. You know, we meet Daenerys Targaryen, Amelia Clark's character. We presume she is um, one of only two remaining Targaryens left in the world. Dragons are virtually extinct. And now we're kind of going back to the height of Targaryen power, where there are the most amount of dragons roaming Westeros, um, more than any other given time in um, history. And we're going to see how it kind of all comes crumbling down and kind of leads to where we find our characters in Game of Thrones. Yeah, and I'm I'm so curious about, you know, you got to speak to so much of the cast. I mean, how did they feel kind of stepping into this kind of great giant franchise? I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of them are no stranger to this. Lauren and I are big Doctor Who fans. We gotta love Matt Smith. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, we gotta love him. He looks great in the crazy blonde uh, Targaryen wig. But yeah, I mean, like, tell me a little bit about how did the cast feel when you got to talk to them? Well, when I spoke with them, they were kind of had they were at this point where they were you know a mix of still getting like really pumped and excited to go to work every day but also feeling the fatigue um because of all of the covid safety protocols that the production had to you know pay for and adapt into their own work process it really extended the production timeline so they were in this for like way more than four or five months which is kind of typical for your standard show also, they there was that reported case of, you know, someone tested positive for COVID, so they had to delay production very briefly in between. So they were already kind of, they've been sort of inside this bubble when I spoke with them in December. Emma Darcy, specifically, they use they, them pronouns. You know, Ryan and Miguel said that they are really playing the most important character in many ways um, in this series. And when I, when I kind of asked Emma sort of about stepping into the world of Game of Thrones, they just kind of laughed it off because they were like, I'm just kind of repressing all of the existence of the fandom for the moment. I'm just trying to focus on the work. And then when I spoke to Olivia Cook, who plays Alison Hightower, she was saying, you know, she's been in a lot of projects over the years. I mean, let's not, you know, undermine all of her work. I mean, she was in Bates Motel. She was in Ready Player One. Um, she's in Thoroughbreds um, with Anya Taylor-Joy, one of my favorite movies. And she was like, even despite my work, I've been able to maintain a certain level of anonymity. And I'm really going to be upset um, when that anonymity kind of goes away once the show is kind of out in the world. So yeah, I don't know if it's actually hit them yet. Maybe once Comic-Con hits um, and all of them will be in San Diego for the Hall H panel, Maybe maybe things will change for them. That makes total sense. And one of my favorite details from your story that's so good is you you had to ask about the wigs because there's so many good wigs on the show. <laughs> I love all of your details about how um, you know Emma Darcy during their audition was was basically like taping extensions to their head. How tell us a little bit about that? Oh my god, the wigs! <laughs> to quote Eve Best in our own video interview. <laughs> oh my god, the wigs! I love that moment. Um, but yeah, that was one of my favorite stories um, that kind of came out of this reporting process. And they didn't tape uh, the extensions; they hot glued. <laughs> Oh my um, God. <laughs> well, they're, they're part That's so much hot. better. Yeah. So much better. So it was sort of in the middle of the pandemic in 2020. Nothing was really open except for maybe a, a local grocery store. Emma didn't really know like which friends to kind of contact to see who had a wig. 
but they needed it for sort of the ongoing audition process. But they did have leftover hair extensions from a previous job um, that they had just kind of lying around the house. So they would just sit in a chair in the living room in front of the television for about an hour and a half before every audition or round of audition, I should say. And their partner would just hot glue hair extensions on this wig grip headband that went all the way around their head. It's it's insane. And then then it was funny because when I saw them later on set, they had a professional grade Targaryen wig, um, which was so much more detailed, obviously. Um, but it was just, it was such a funny contrast to hear that story from this person who is in full on, you know, Targaryen hair and makeup. That's incredible. I, and I, I love that so much. And yeah, we talked about like what the sword budget must be for this show. I can't imagine what the wig budget is because there's so many, just the bleach blonde, incredible Targaryen look. Yeah. Now it's, it's not just, you know, Amelia Clark having to do it, but like multiple Targaryens. So it's just like, that's a lot more wigs that they need. Oh my god, so Steve Toussaint, who plays Lord Corliss Valarian um, in House of the Dragon, aka the Sea Snake, um, he was so close to revealing us ex- like a ballpark figure for <laughs> for how much all of these wigs cost, um, but HBO shut us down really fast after this. I guess they just don't like to talk about the financials of everything. I don't blame them, but there's there's some incredible whatever whatever it is, it, it looks incredible for sure. Lauren, I'm curious for you. I mean, what are you most excited about? You know, um, when you think about the show, like, was there anything that like specifically stood out to you? Um, I mean, I, first, I think Nick's cover story was fantastic, and Nick and I have been talking about Game of Thrones just off the record for years. I, you know, as I mentioned before, I think Matt Smith is going to be such a great Daemon Targaryen on Doctor Who. He was so goofy, and but he could really channel that sort of arrogance and lordly kind of ancient power sort of thing. So I, when they uh, announced Matt Smith as Damon, I was just like, oh, that's good casting because I read Fire and Blood and it's a great story. And I know there's probably a fair amount of people who are a little bit gun shy about Game of Thrones, considering how it ended. But this is a really compelling story. You know, I love the Targaryens. They're probably my favorite house. Although sometimes I'll say Stark is my favorite house, but I really think it's the Targaryens. And so I think in like in this story specifically is just like every single flaw of the Targaryen kind of like comes out to play. And it's really just kind of interesting to see the whole entire story is, a, I think, a really fascinating one and a, quite a meaty one for HBO to tackle. Yeah, I also just kind of jumping off of that a little bit. I love the Targaryens because... You know, listen, Targaryens are messy. They are very incestuous, which I'm sure we're going to get some of that in this show. I mean, we've got to face facts for that. But I think more than any other house in Westeros, I mean, maybe the argument could be made for another house. But I feel like the idea of history and the previous generation, on top of just like a metaphorical sense of those things having a direct impact on the very next generation and the very next generation after that, it's also in a very real biological sense. Like each generation is getting madder and madder and more crazy. And then you lead to, you know, <laughs> the Mad King, you know? Yeah. It's like that famous quote that you quoted in your cover story. Like when a Targaryen is born, the realm holds its breath because it's like a flip of the corn, whether it's going to be greatness or madness that, that uh, appears. So it's like, and that's like the thing with Targaryens. There's so many of them at this point in time. 
And there's such a variety of personality quirks that you get in this collection of people. Yeah. And you also mentioned, um, you know, Matt Smith as Prince Damon Targaryen. And, you know, I got to say, like, this is a detail I was trying to fit into this cover story. And I'll, I'll probably write about it a little bit. Um, or I'll pull this piece um, from my interview with him for a, a later article. But Matt deserves a lot of props because towards the end of production, he really hurt his neck. He wouldn't tell me how he hurt his neck, but it put a lot of pressure on the last half of the production as well because he could only film for like one or two hours a day and then he would have to kind of go off and rest. And the fact that he did it, you know, with a smile on his face... You know, I mean, I'm sure he knew I was there. So who knows if he was just trying to put on a brave face for me. But, you know, I feel like he should be really commended. And then I, I saw him, um, some of his scenes with Emma Darcy. And, you know, I, I think this is obviously the most high profile thing Emma has ever done. And I really think it's going to make them a huge star because of it. I was really impressed with them. Yeah, everything about this show is, is I think, you know, it's been interesting how, you know, the sort of the reaction to Game of Thrones final season sort of, I think, muted enthusiasm a little bit for, for this property. But, you know, getting to see some of these images and, and hearing these stories that, that have been, you know, if you watch the show, you know, you've, the legacy of the Targaryens looms so large over that entire story that I think there's, there's just so much to dive into here. And I, I'm, I'm, I like the idea that this is set, you know, hundreds of years in the past. It's an entire these are characters we might sort of be familiar with, but they're not, you know, like young versions of characters we've already really met. I can feel like as a fan, like I'm getting really excited about this this show to come back and, and to um, or this show to, to make its premiere um, in August because I think there's a, a huge, you know, kind of hunger for um, specifically this world building and this this kind of storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I feel like it's an embarrassment of riches for genre fans this year. I mean, Devin, you've covered The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power for a while now. And like that's coming out also kind of almost simultaneously um, with House of the Dragon. So I'm, I'm just excited for everything. I'm kind of a glutton for fantasy. Yeah, it's a good year for us. We, we've got a lot of, you know, for, for nerds like us, we, we've got a lot of cool stuff in, in the works. You know, Lauren and I co-host the, the Dagobah Dispatch um, podcast with our colleague Dalton Ross on um, just talking about all things Star Wars. Um, we've got all this Game of Thrones stuff. We've got Lord of the Rings. Um, Nick and I have done a lot of coverage in the Marvel space. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of cool stuff on the horizon. There's a lot of cool stuff to talk about. <laughs> It was funny because I was talking to Nick because, you know, as Devin mentioned, like we've been I've been so much in the Star Wars space that it was like kind of dipping back into, you know, the world of Westeros has been like I've, I was rereading parts of Fire and Blood uh, over the past couple of days. And I was just forget like remembering I'm like, ah, how much I just loved reading George R. R. Martin's like writing and the world building and like everything in it. So it's been kind of like a pleasure just to sort of like dive back into this world after the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. So for, for people like me who aren't as familiar with this particular part of Game of Thrones history, um, what kind of research do we need to do leading up to this show? What, what book should we be reading? What besides Nick's excellent cover story? Well, this is a funny question. Um, because, well, well, to start. Uh, so this uh, material is based off of the events, um, chronicled in George R. R. Martin's, um, Fire and Blood, which is not your typical, you know, ongoing literary narrative. It's definitely written more as a historical document that spans, you know, the entire 
um, Targaryen, or close to the entire Targaryen Empire. I mean, George is coming out with another um, Fire and Blood-esque book um, called The Rise of the Dragon a little bit later this year. But specifically, this show is going to tackle specific sections um, of Fire and Blood. It's really not a whole lot of reading material. And like, you could even get away with reading just like, I think it's about there's a chapter that's like 60 or a section that's about like 60 or so pages that kind of glosses over some of the main kind of rising action to this. But it's, it's funny because I, I say it's a funny question because there, so th- there's like a key element, uh, a narrative plot point <laughs> that is really crucial um, to House of the Dragon um, that I kind of can't talk about yet. And Book readers know exactly what I'm talking about. HBO is kind of technically considering it kind of a spoiler at this point. Ryan and Miguel are also kind of considering it a spoiler at this point. because It's it's sort of like the equivalent of knowing about The Red Wedding like a few seasons before The Red Wedding kind of comes to Game of Thrones. Um, not to say that this plot point is going to come four seasons later or whatever. Um, so really, if you don't want to do a whole lot of reading, the, all I'll say is kind of the basic setup is um, uh, House of the Dragon is going to be chronicling the events leading up to um, and during um, what is known as the Dance of the Dragons. It's the name that the poets of Westeros um, gave to one of, if not the bloodiest civil wars um, the country has ever seen. It uh, occurred within the Targaryen Empire, and it broke out over, you know, what else? Kind of succession of the Iron Throne. And the basic kind of setup is that Princess Rhaenyra Targaryen, her father, King Viserys I, pick to succeed him on the Iron Throne and eventually become Queen of Westeros one day. All of the lords of Westeros come and swear fealty to her. And then in the preceding years, um, King Viserys conceives of a son, um, the young Aegon. Um, not Aegon the Conqueror, but a future descendant. And um, because of this thing that kind of happened, you know, <laughs> years earlier um, in this event called um, uh, the Great Council of Harrenhal, um, it's been legally decided that the Iron Throne cannot pass um, to a woman or through a woman um, to her male descendants. But still, King Viserys is like, I don't give a fuck about that. I want Rhaenyra to succeed me. It's important that she does. And it's this whole thing kind of splits um, the Targaryen Empire in two. Um, and it, the action and a lot more drama, um, that precedes that moment. And it eventually leads us into the Dance of the Dragons. I mean, what would, what would Westeros be without a, a crazy power struggle and lots of, uh, familial drama? It is a little, literally the Game of Thrones succession crossover <laughs> HBO fans <laughs> have been writing fan fiction about. <laughs> Cousin Greg is there, you know, it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big, big drama for short. <laughs> Just one other thing is that uh, before uh, George Martin wrote Fire and Blood, he actually told the story of the dance with the dragons in, I think it was two different novellas. And they were in these anthologies, Rogues and Dangerous Women, I think. And it's interesting because when you read those, it's a slightly different perspective than what you get in Fire and Blood. Because I I do remember when I read Fire and Blood after I read those, I was like, this is a slightly different story. But it's kind of fascinating because it's like the Fire and Blood was told by one Archmaester. And it's sort of like, and these was like a slightly different version of the same story. But it is an interesting kind of reflection on how 
the history of Westeros changes depending on who's telling it. So I, I think that's also one thing that you mentioned in your story, Nick, that I thought was sort of fascinating, that the show is going to be try to be the objective telling of the story as well. Yeah, that's what I absolutely loved about it, just kind of learning um, about how they are approaching this. Because, you know, everybody, if you kind of comes across as sort of like active schemers in a lot of the events that are chronicled um, in Martin's um, Fire and Blood and his novellas. But like the sense that I got is that, you know, everyone doesn't really seem, you know, malevolent. It seems like they want to do what they think is right. But because of so many factors and this messy, messy family who can't really talk to one another, they kind of lead themselves down a very, very dark road. Yeah, I feel like a lot of George R. R. Martin's, like the families of Westeros would just benefit from going to therapy and talking about their problems. Just like, then, just like once. <laughs> but then where would the drama be? This is true. That would make for a very boring TV show. Although I, I would definitely watch Targaryen Family Therapy Hour. Yeah. Game of Thrones in treatment or in treatment Game of Thrones. <laughs> Sounds like an SNL skit. There you go. Write it. Make it happen. <laughs> Nick, are there any other um, details from your reporting that you were like particularly excited to learn or any other like fun details that you were like, oh, I really wanted to find a way to fit this into the story, but it couldn't quite find the right place? Honestly, I have so much material that I did not include um, in this cover story. I feel like the main goal with this was to just kind of offer an impression of what it is. I mean, I feel like when I submitted the story, all of my editors were just like, the audacity that you have for making it this long <laughs> in the first place. I don't even know how many words it was. But, you know, it's it's really dense material. It covers a lot of ground. There are certain things we can talk about, certain things we can't talk about. Um, and I just tried to do my best to kind of, since this is sort of the first in-depth feature to kind of be written about this show so far, I just wanted to set the stage um, for everything that's to come. But yeah, so I, I spent three days on set. I have so much material um, that I can't wait to publish, some of which is already coming. Like today, we published um, a first look photo of Outlander star Graham McTavish um, in his role as Sir Harold Westerling in House of the Dragon. Um, we've got more stories coming tomorrow, coming every day next week, kind of leading into um, Comic-Con and everything that's going to be revealed there. And even still, I, I feel like I could write a House of the Dragon story every day up until premiere, um, which is partly why you know, I'm really excited that Lauren and myself are um, doing our best. We're going to um, revive um, the Entertainment Weekly Game of Thrones podcast. It is not going to be called Game of Thrones Weekly anymore. I really wanted it to be Westeros Weekly. I just felt like that was very EW, but that name has already been taken. So we're calling it West of Westeros. Um, it's not just going to deal with House of the Dragon, but it's really going to deal with this new era of Game of Thrones. I mean, there are multiple other spinoffs that are in the early stages of development. It sounds like this franchise is only kind of revving up from here. So I, we thought it would be a great space to kind of really dig into all of that. Yeah, I cannot wait to listen to you guys uh, talk about all things Game of Thrones, because as someone who's, you know, who, who's who's nerdy about this stuff, but has not, you know, necessarily read all of the supplemental materials and things, I, I'm going to have, I mean, I can't wait to like slack you guys during the workday with like a thousand questions about like, okay, walk me through the Targaryen family tree again. And how is this person related to this person? And um, tell me more about the wigs. I feel like that's going to be that you're going to get a lot of uh, crazy questions from from me. So be prepared for that. I, I kept like joking with Nick that uh, I was like, I have to put this Westeros knowledge somewhere 
Because when he was telling me they were doing a podcast and I'm like, I'll co-host it because I have all of this knowledge and I have no place to put it. I love it. I feel like we could do like a separate podcast just on the wigs. Um, but for <laughs> those who don't really care about the wigs, I will do my best to kind of curb my, you know, my maybe we can talk about them. Maybe we could do a, you know, Westeros uh, wigs weekly. Like, you know, it could be a section of our podcast. Or a column. Like, yeah. <laughs> we could turn it into a column. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think a, we- a weekly power ranking, a weekly wig power ranking would be, I, I would very much tune into that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listeners will have to tune in to uh, see what we, uh, what we come up with. Well, I am so excited for that. Stay tuned to wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, look for Entertainment Weekly's West of Westeros. If you're already subscribed to our, our, our Game of Thrones podcast, you may already start to see it in your feed. And if you haven't read Nick's incredible cover story and all of his incredible um, supplemental reporting, go to EW.com right now and read it. It is such a wonderful, thoughtful deep dive into this show. And um, it really... I as a fan, it, it really just got me so excited for uh, for August to to get here and for Comic Con because we know there. I'm sure they've got some some really cool things uh, in the works next week for uh, coming out of San Diego Comic Con. I love that. Yes, and since you know Lauren and I also kind of want to bring in you know the Game of Thrones community. I mean, we're going to have a number of interviews leading up to um, and kind of after the premiere of House of the Dragon. We're going to be talking to virtually everybody, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but a lot of I'll say a lot of people. And if anybody has questions, like our emails are out there. I'm sure we'll um, set up an email specifically for the podcast. And if there's any questions that anyone has sort of, you know, as you're learning more about the show and actually watching the show, send them our way and we'll send them directly to the cast and the crew. Yeah, feel free to send us a raven. <laughs> yes, we love, we stand. Yeah, you guys are going to get many ravens from me asking asking many questions for for you guys to to walk me walk me through all of this. And again, if you haven't read any of Nick's stories yet, uh, definitely check them out on ew.com. And I know um, uh, also they've been shared on the the ew Twitter account. So so go read them. They're a treasure trove of of information and amazing photography and and just really a great great preview for the show. It, it really has me so hyped for this. Thank you so much, Devin. Oh, that means so much. Thank you, Devin. Yeah, it, it's, it, his stuff is so great. You should just all go read it right now. It is so good. Thank you to Nick. Uh, thank you to Lauren. I'm so excited to listen to you guys host the podcast. And thank you all for listening. Would love to hear your thoughts on all of Nick's great coverage. And yeah, and stay tuned for the launch of West of Westeros. Awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs>